Hello, Windworms. I'm Radif Terius, and this is the Hand Tool Book Review, the podcast for people who love woodwork and love reading about woodworking too. So, you're still looking for that hand tool Bible? Well, you could do a lot worse than today's book. But first, let's just do a little bit of housekeeping. So, firstly, thank you to everyone who wrote in to me. Peter McLaughlin, it's good to hear that someone else is a fan of Dunbar and Sloan. They're two authors that I really enjoy. I hadn't heard of Jeff Miller, so thanks for that suggestion. Steve Schuller, thank you for the shout-out on your blog and the feedback about the show. I had a look at your website and I really enjoy the way you've put the shelves near the ceiling and crammed them full of books. It's something I'd love to copy if I hadn't already used the space for storage. I loved your workshop. It looks like a really happy place. If anyone else is curious, take a look at literaryworkshop.wordpress.com under the About section. A view of trees, some sunlight, books packed on the shelves, and a well-used workbench. I think it's a little bit of heaven. And Steve's an English professor, so it's a well-written and interesting blog if you're curious. And finally, Christian, by Danke für die Honestierung. I enjoyed your message and appreciate you signing up as a new Patreon. I'd also like to publicly touch on your suggestion. So Christian suggested that there might be other ways to support the show, like affiliate links um, to books, etc. And Christian, I really appreciate that you have my best interests at heart, but I'd like to reassure you and the audience that the only funds I receive in any way related to the show are via Patreon. I do this deliberately, as I'd like all of you to be very clear that when you're listening to my opinion, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, you're getting my personal, unbiased, unendorsed, unpaid-for opinion. I've had an author reach out to me and offer me his books, and I've declined the offer for this exact reason. I bought the book because I was interested in it, and I'll review it in the future, secure in the knowledge that I can say anything I want to about it. I don't want there to ever be any doubt that I might say something that has an ulterior motive. And the same goes for author interviews. There's nobody I've spoken to on the show that sent me shiny things in any any way or form. In fact, I often buy them a coffee or send them a small gift to say thanks for their time. And finally, thanks to Brett for your contribution on Patreon. Because of that, I was able to get someone into the workshop to do a quick video tour of all the tools I'm using and the area I work in. I thought it might be an interesting insight to listeners that would give you some context on how I work, where I work, and some of the limitations I face and solutions I've come up with. I thought it was a nice bonus to be able to include it with the recent and forthcoming reviews of toolbooks. So thanks, Brett. I think the video came out really well, but I'll apologize in advance for the one bad act's close-up when I'm talking about a Sunfix saw. It's the kind of thing that the guy behind the camera was oblivious to, but I know that astute woodworkers like my listeners will pick up on it immediately. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy the video. You can find it on YouTube at Hand Tool Book Review under the video tour of my workshop, but I'll also leave a link in the show notes. So into today's book. I must admit that the first time I read the book, I felt that it was far from up to date. Then I realized that I probably should have read the title a little bit better. So I'll stress this point right here at the start. The book is called Traditional Woodworking Hand Tools, and the emphasis on the word traditional, they probably should have typeset that in bold. I made the mistake of confusing traditional hand tools with hand tools. Are you confused yet? Well, it's a subtle difference and one that was lost on me. The traditional refers to the fact that the book sets a cutoff point for many of the tools at the end of the 19th century. There are some sections that talk a bit about metal planes, so there's bits that will apply if you're using a Stanley. But in the main, the tools will predate the machine revolution. The traditional, in the title, refers back to a pre-industrial time 
when a cabinet maker would work with the selection of wooden planes and other traditional tools. I'm stressing this here because when I first read the book, it was at the very start of my hand tool career and it had been recommended to me by Sean Graham, so I felt it was going to be the panacea to all my woodworking questions. I felt like I'd been sold a dummy. There was nothing in here that was going to help me fettle my record four and a half into a super smoother, for example. Recently, I picked the book up again, and I went through it with a different lens. Well, I'd been intrigued recently by, well, I guess intrigued, frustrated, mystified, and amazed in equal measure about wooden moulding planes. The book felt like a revelation. The chapter on the sash philister is a good example. It's eight pages long, but again A4 pages and letter pages, so there's a lot of texture. Unlike Graham Blackburn's previous book, I'd suggest that it's significantly less picture-heavy. So in this chapter there are nine diagrams, that would probably be a total of two of the eight pages. But say 20 to 25% of the book is diagram. So it's amply illustrated, but more as a supplement to a lot of text, rather than illustrations with annotations and notes to it. While we're talking about layout and construct, the one thing that drives me nuts is the typeface for the letters S and T, like in the word at the end of the word first. For some reason the publishers thought it would be cute to link this with a little flourish. I wish they'd stuck to a standard typeface. It fades into the background after a while, but I didn't like it. But the little niggler slide, the book is well constructed. The author apologises in the beginning for some overlap as a result of some chapters being adapted from magazine articles. Frankly, I don't see this in the book at all. I've been critical of books in the past, like Handplane Essentials, because of the somewhat disjointed organisation. This book doesn't feel like that at all. It's cohesive, it's well laid out, and while a chapter might have originally been published elsewhere, in the book it's in the right place and there's very little overlap. So I'd really give the book a thumbs up as a proper book, rather than as a collection of articles. In fact, if the author hadn't apologised about it in the preamble, I wouldn't have guessed the origin of the work. Back to Sash Philisters. We get the history of why this plane evolved and what it was originally used for. In this case, making window sash, those traditional wooden windows with lots of individual panes of glass held together by good solid traditional joinery. The author goes on to explain that while this has been replaced in the main by milling machines today, this plane may still be useful for restoration or reproduction work. Or, in my case, for peaceful work, perhaps in the evening, after the kids are in bed, without the scream of a router. The author then explains the difference between a rabbit plane and a philister. The key components are clearly expounded on, and there's a good half-page spread on why and how rabbits were used and constructed, and how the plane's skew blade or depth stop or fence is required. It's interesting to note here that the traditional shops would often nail a fence onto the work quickly and use this as a guide, something I've seen referenced in other books, but have never felt comfortable doing myself. I guess that nailing a fence to a piece is the acid test of whether you've really embraced your inner 18th century woodworker. If you're unfamiliar with the term, Philister is also explained. It's a name for a rabbit plane furnished with a fence and a depth stop. The two types of Philister, standing with an integral fixed fence and moving with adjustability are discussed. I'd never before heard of standing Philisters, but it explains why a Stanley 78 is referred to as a moving Philister plane and not just a philister plane. Sash philisters take this definition even further. 
Again, I now understand the difference between a sash filister and a normal filister because of a clear, detailed explanation that assumed no prior knowledge and takes me through what I needed to know. In essence, the sash filister cuts on the far side of the work. The cutout is on the side of the work furthest from the friends, while a normal filister will cut on the side closest to you. If you're familiar with the 78, for example, it removes wood on the side closest to the fence, but imagine if the blade was set up on the other side and the plane straddled the work and cut the groove out on the other side. That's what a sash filister does. So why did they do this? Well, there's also an excellent explanation of the number of operations needed when making windows, and it makes sense that if you're doing a lot of them, you'd need this tool. I thought it was interesting, and I've had a few situations in the shop myself where I think it would have been useful to have left the work where it was and used a plane that could work on the opposite side of the work. Then we're on to the development of the left-handed versus the right-handed version, and you see the evolution of the form. The author steps us through all the little improvements, things like where the shavings were ejected, and some nice historical details. I like the quote from Nicholson, the philister that throws the shavings onto the bench, one of the original planes. It's evocative, and describes a key characteristic of this plane, which changed later on. If you're interested in the history, this section is particularly good, as the development of the tool is traced. But I found there was a happy side effect of this. It tells you what to look for if you're buying a second-hand one. I think that this is one of the benefits of having a book focused on these traditional tools. In fact, you'll probably save the cost of the book, just in a reduction of poor eBay decisions. Once we've traced the development of the cutting spur and the depth stop, there's a discussion about the aspects of the fence, and you'll learn about Matthewson's special version of this. Basically, all you ever need to know about the plane. It's the kind of chapter that you would have been well advised to read before you buy something, but also perhaps read in conjunction when you're unboxing an unfamiliar tool. I certainly found it comprehensive, and I think that you'll need little, if any, googling at all, or YouTubing to supplement this book which in a way is a good lead into who this book could be recommended to. With the caveat that it's not going to cover metal body planes like a dedicated book, I would suggest that this is an excellent resource for a person new to hand tools. Regardless of previous experience with power tools or lack of experience with woodworking, this is a great way to get a handle on all the terminology and the purpose of the different tools. Let's consider what it covers. In the 350 odd pages of the book, I think there's a pretty even and comprehensive spread of most tools. We start with holding tools like clamps and mitre shooting boards. That gets 30 pages. Then we go into measuring and marking tools. That gets 38. Saws get 32 pages. And then planes get 144 pages. But as an example, bench planes make up about a third of that, with speciality planes taking up the rest. Edge Tools is also a pretty wide bucket that incorporates everything from adzers and axes to spoke shaves, draw knives and chisels, and it's 66 pages long. Boring Tools, we're back down to about 30, and a few miscellaneous tools make up the difference. So let's take another example and talk about the saw chapter here. Dive into the subsections of that. Hand saws and why they're worth using are six pages long. You'll get info like the different families of saws, including the hand saw proper and panel saw comparisons, cross-cut saws, rip saws, discussions of the ripping action and what a homemade rip attachment could look like. And from there, it's 10 pages on how to sharpen a hand saw and how to use it, from establishing a kerf to making the cut. 
The section's full of tips, tricks and trivia, and by the end of it, you'll have enough, well I'd suggest you'll have enough to get going with saws and understand all the key terminology. So when someone talks to you about a taper ground saw, you'll know why it's important and what they actually mean. The section on how to file a saw is light in comparison to a detailed treatise on the subject, but if you're stuck on the proverbial desert island, I think there's probably enough to get you by. On the flip side, I think the author did a really nice job of explaining how to stick to the line, for example. In other words, actual techniques and practical sections are, are really thorough. Frame saws is up next. And like the subsequent chapter on back saws, you'll get a decent overview of the tools. These saws range from the large pit saw to the small turning saw. And you get the why of their existence, as well as the how of their use. Again, there's some interesting trivia and facts that I did not know that were brought to light. In this case, the difference between an unglued tenon that I'm familiar with, and I now know to be a British version of the turning saw, and the bridled stretcher version that is favoured on the continent. My observation at the end of these chapters is that it's a very evenly balanced set of information. I know from the conclusion that the author is a fan of hand tools, but I think that there's unbiased coverage, even when the saw chapter concludes with this. Despite the current prevalence of chainsaws, there is still much to be said for the bucksfall, especially if you only need to cut the occasional piece of firewood. It does not need to have a spark plug changed, it starts every time, and best of all, it's neither smelly nor noisy. Those are certainly sentiments I can agree with. So in conclusion, traditional woodworking hand tools is 364 pages long, but it's a large format book. So I'd suggest that this is probably closer to 500 pages if you compare it to a smaller format book. It's written by Graham Blackburn and you can find it at the usual places. But perhaps you'll consider supporting the author by going via blackburnbooks.com. The author promises a signed version ordered through the website. I think it's worth supporting him in this way. As of June 2020, the book costs in the region of $25. Personally, I'd fully recommend this book for two types of users. The first type is someone who's starting the hobby, who wants to get a wide range of knowledge across a wide variety of tools that are likely to crop up on YouTube, podcasts, websites and magazines. As stated before, the caveat is metal-bodied planes, but I think that's a gap in your library that is easily remedied with other books, dedicated books on the subject. The second type of user is someone who's been working for a while and who wants to start exploring some of the more exotic older tools, moulding planes or an in-shave for example. This book has very even, solid coverage on a wide range of tools. If only you could fit it in your pocket, you could take it with you every time you go to the antique store. With 400 illustrations over the 364 pages, I'm glad I have this in my library, and as a result I'm rating the book as a 7.5 out of 10 in the category Tools. In the coming weeks, I'll review one other book that I think that is worth considering as your hand tool bible, as it were. I'll also be posting a longer format interview with a woodworker who I respect a lot, and we'll talk through some of the tools we would recommend a new hand tool woodworker acquire. I said in the challenge of, what would you spend your first thousand dollars on if you knew you were getting into hand tools today? And we had a lot of fun discussing the topic. I hope you'll enjoy it when I've, I've finished editing it. So that's it for now, Woodworms, and remember, keep your tools sharp, keep them organized, and keep reading. If you have any comments or suggestions, perhaps a favorite book you'd like to suggest, 
or one you're considering buying that you'd like to be featured on a future episode, send me an email at handtoolbookreview at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can find me on Patreon. Any contributions will support the purchase of books for the library and future episodes.